Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today? It is very easy. It is the sweater weather that we're having in Los Angeles. I know that like Los Angeles weather takes are super trite and people live in LA. I <laughs> love them. But... I'm really, really loving it. I've worn sweatshirts all week, and it is awesome. And uh, Matt, is it cold? Like, like for me, it's relief. But where you live, your part of the city, which is closer to the water, is naturally chilly. Or this is just riveting information, by the way, for anyone who's not a coastal elite. Yeah, if you're not a coastal elite, you definitely already turned off the podcast, and you'll uh, hate it even more when I say that. Yeah, during FFL, like I'm wearing my short-ish shorts. Uh, during the broadcast but I had to change I had to put on my you know joggers for the rest of the day because it was quite it was quite chilly today Liz and and I, I did enjoy it it's a nice change of pace changes of pace man I'd love to say that this first matchup the Steelers at the Titans was a change of pace there were some things that weren't different Juju not completely throwing up all over himself but um the Steelers <laughs> defense um remained stout even with a key injury that you mentioned during FFL yeah, Tennessee uh, falls behind early in this game. I actually think it was kind of encouraging to see them be able to bounce back. I mean, at one point, I think during our halftime show, it was like Pittsburgh 24 to 7. So, uh, but this defense is just really, really hard to contain. I mean, because TJ Watt and these guys up front are so good. Watt was making plays in the run game, uh, in the pass game. I mean, a couple times, even down towards the goal line, they they straight stonewalled Derrick Henry. Like, no one stonewalls my guy Derrick Henry. Give me a break. So this is a tough, th- tough defense to contain. Uh, but I thought it was actually, like I said, kind of encouraging that when Tennessee, you know, down 24-7, decided to open things up, they were able to respond um, with several big plays, mostly highlighted by A.J. Brown. So let's talk about um, this receiving core in Pittsburgh a little bit because Deontay Johnson comes back. There's all this speculation about like what happens to Chase Claypool when Deontay Johnson comes back. And the answer is Deontay Johnson, I don't know who needs to hear this, but we should say it, is, while healthy, which he isn't fully right now, but we'll get there, <laughs> uh, the Steelers wide receiver one, nine receptions, 80 yards, two touchdowns on 15 targets. Chase Claypool is, you know... A wonderful talent, but Ben Roethlisberger would prefer to target Deontay Johnson uh, in those high-value situations. He's the number one. He did roll his ankle, I believe, or he hurt his ankle in some respect in the fourth quarter. Uh, Current reports say that that won't 
hamper him for week eight and it won't affect his availability. But I mean, this is also a guy who's been struggling to get fully healthy. And I don't know, we have to be mindful about an aggravation. Yeah, totally. I mean, he said after the game that he's not concerned about it. I mean, like you said, pretty much I think it's a it's a we'll see uh, type of situation. Yeah, Deontay Johnson comes out and is it's it's like it's clear when he's when he's healthy. Like you said, Ben would prefer to throw the ball to him. Um, I think we should probably take Ben Roethlisberger, who's been pretty good at these things for a long time. And it, it makes sense, too, right? Because Claypool, like you said, awesome talent, fabulous talent, like great outside the numbers, uh, tight spaces down the field threat. Well, like, guess what? That's not really what Ben's doing so well at this point. I mean, none of, not, not this year. Like at this point, it's been sort of a running theme that his deep ball is not really, he's even said it too. Like it's not really where he wants it to be. So I think for a guy like Chase Claypool, there's going to be some more hit or miss hit or miss situations and it's not even so much that he didn't produce today but I mean he was third on the team in routes run with 30 Deontay's up there at 37 Juju's up there at 40 Juju also draws 14 targets like Claypool right now looks like the wide receiver three which means he is going to be very volatile but it's like I've said with these guys pretty much you kind of want to side on the you want to you know break ties in favor of starting these guys because this offense is throwing the ball and they're throwing the ball well and they'll be in favorable situations. But you know one of the three is going to bang you each possible week. And like last week it was Juju. Uh, It could be Juju two weeks from now, three weeks from now. It could be Claypool two weeks from now again. It could be Deontay again. That's just going to happen. You just got to be a fantasy detective about it. And also in piecing together little bits of information, we know that Johnny Smith, well, let's start with the result, because then I feel like you can work backwards to the process, right? Like Johnny Smith uh, only caught one ball for nine yards. What a disappointment. Meanwhile, Corey Davis returned six for 35 and a touchdown on 10 targets. What is happening? Oh, again, working backwards. Johnny Smith was limited in practice all week. He's not fully healthy. You have in particularly, in particular, even when you um, have, I don't know, uh, advocated heartily for the Titans passing game, have said, Yes. However, there is only enough production here to support two of these characters. Guess what? If one isn't fully healthy, then it looks like that production is going to fall to the other option, which in this case, to me, was Corey Davis. Yeah, I think that's said perfectly. Like, there's just not, even in a spot like this where they have to throw the ball more to come back, there's not enough uh, juice here to go around for everybody to eat. All right, let's talk about Cincinnati and Cleveland because, you know, this is going to be one of those big um, narrative producing contests throughout the week. Like we're going to hear lots of lots of bites. I'm sure OBJ is going to tweet something and people are going to run with it. Um, OBJ immediately left the game with a knee injury that is very potentially very serious. The reports are that like it's not looking great. This is also a player, as we all know, who struggled to stay healthy, even though he was on the field for the bulk of last year, like still wasn't 100 percent. And that's affected his game. I think what's particularly interesting. And again, you alluded to this and uh, spoke of, we spoke about it, but it was only in the first half of the game. So we couldn't really quite see the full effect of it. OBJ goes out and Baker Mayfield returns to the version of himself that I think everybody had been expecting over the past two years. So the question is, well, without OBJ there, is Baker Mayfield better? And I don't even care about the why. I have my own thoughts. But 
yeah, less yeah. the why is he better and which of these pieces make more sense because you know all week we're going to hear a million there's going to be lots of um pondering and uh, as to as to why the two don't match yeah right like there's plenty of different whys that we could go down like you know narrative street and talk about for sure and i think there that would be an entertaining podcast in and of itself um but i think there's a version of baker that you know, during his rookie season, part of what I thought made it what what made his performance so interesting, you know, breaking the rookie touchdown record, like there's got to be some, some like a guy in there that is good. Right. Like, I think what was so interesting is that he did that all while throwing to guys like Brashad Perryman, uh, you know, Rashard Higgins, like these lesser known players, these lesser known actors. Then, and obviously Jarvis Landry was still there, too. But, you know, there wasn't this commanding alpha presence like Odell Beckham um, who this Browns coaching staff has been a little bit better about it. But last year, even I think one of the criticisms among many that you could throw at the Freddie kitchens coaching staff was they never really assigned a lot of layup routes to Beckham's portfolio and therefore just made, you know, not only does Baker feel like he needs to satisfy Beckham in doing so you're asking to then throw more difficult passes. So I think there's I think there's a lot of different reasons that we could, you know, have this like what what the possible reason is, but I, I do think it's gonna be really you know it's gonna be worth monitoring. Like, does Beckham's absence actually free up Baker a little bit to play a little bit more loose uh, and just run this offense, which I do think is very well designed. And when Baker can, I mean, like he's just not a very um, he, we always we always like throw around uh you know can't read the field like doesn't go through his reads very well with a certain type of quarterback but baker is that guy like he's terrible at going through the progressions he misses reads all the time he misses open receivers you see that all the time if you watch this browns offense like i do think that it's very well run it's very well it's very well designed and i think he might be able to run a little bit better uh without odell but wouldn't be surprised if next week he has a terrible outing too and we're, we're like where this this whole theory goes in the trash can well, I don't think it has to go in the trash can just yet. I think you should give yourself a pat on the back when you bring up the timing necessary. Let's like divorce ourselves from like the psychic burden that OBJ brings, but just yes. the need to have timing be very specific is an extra layer of work for Baker. When you add in then the emotional stress of like knowing the spotlight and the personality and all of the extraness, yeah. then you you can get in your head about something. And we have seen Baker Mayfield when he gets into his head about something, maybe not react in a um, calm manner, right? He can be a little <laughs> bit rash. I think that's a fair thing to say about him. Yes. You talk about Rashad Higgins. Like, what does Rashad Higgins do? Oh, he's a technician, right? Like, we know that he can do that. Then what about Donovan Peoples-Jones? He is an athlete, as annoying as that is, with like a capital A, right? He has the like 99th percentile spark score and wild hops. And so he could be that guy that doesn't have the ego, that doesn't have the expectation, who was drafted later than he anticipated, uh, who didn't follow Urban Meyer and went to Michigan instead and has maybe that underdog spirit about him that matches this franchise and can still, you know, win in contested situations and climb the ladder and manage a 50-50 situation. So, like, I think that these are maybe just a better match. And this injury is a fantastic excuse for Baker. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, now that we're talking about this, I actually think one of, you know, one of like the early things that I got kind of tuned in with reception perception, like studying these wide receivers, is that I remember the 49ers situation when Kaepernick had kind of devolved into sort of just a see it, throw it passer. He still maintained a ton of production with Anquan Bolden, who was just like, he can just throw it to that guy, you know, no matter what. And like Jarvis Landry is a similar player too. And I think that's why they've always had a better connection than Beckham, who was more of that Michael Crabtree type timing based player. I think Crabtree obviously goes to the, the Raiders with a timing based quarterback and Derek Carr. There's more production there. And I wonder if Beckham, who at this point feels like he'll be on another team at some point soon. I wonder if Beckham finds his way to a more, to another timing passer. There might be some more there because there's just the injuries are sacking up to that point that he needs to start to rely on that part of his game even more than just like the explosive athleticism, which I think is the first thing we think of when we think of Beckham. But he has always been one of those like timing-based route runners, comebacks, curls, all that type of stuff. And that rhythm has really never been there with him and Baker. Unless we forget, this is an offense that wasn't built around OBJ. It was built around Nick Chubb, and he's not even on the field. So now there are like a bunch of other dominoes that are falling and coalescing into what we have, which I think might be ultimately beneficial for at least Baker. Uh, Let's talk about Cleveland quickly. Um, You know, Joe Burrow, it was not pretty. Obviously, that offensive line needs to be beefed up and like protecting this franchise guy needs to be a priority for the Bengals but a lot of injuries to that line today too a lot of injuries to that line and also a feeling you know you've got Carlos Dunlap like tweeting uh and and posting on social about (laughs) how unhappy he is he's his own realtor (laughs) he's he's putting up like a he's putting up a listing uh for his own house on Twitter what a move what a what a power move and you're this like rookie quarterback who is the first overall put pick and all of this is surrounding you. But I will say that Joe Burrow on the field has continued to keep up. Right? He kept up with Baker after two pretty down efforts with a big day of his own 406 yards, three touchdowns. Um, also, ran, he is running. I mean, you're going to have to with that offensive line, but he is doing it's another 34 yards and a, a rushing score. Um, and if we talk about, well, if you want to talk, do you want to talk about Joe Burrow first? Because I think that the interesting thing to me about Burrow is from a fantasy perspective, like this is going to be a matchup based play, right? And, and, but overall, I'm going to break ties in the favor of his talent and his um, stick to itiveness. Well, I, I, what I really liked about Burrow coming out, you know, whether, I didn't think he was like the most physically gifted quarterback. And like so far, I think that's been the case, but he's just such a good distributor. And there's a lot of guys to distribute the distribute the ball to in this offense. Like we see Tyler Boyd smash in a really good matchup. You know, we know the Browns just get pummeled by slot receivers, 11 catches in this spot and a touchdown. AJ Green goes over 82 yards on 13 targets. T Higgins gets just five targets but makes them work with catching all five of them for 71 yards and another touchdown. Gio Bernard involved as a receiver, uh, five catches, 59 yards and another touchdown. Like Burrow's really good at that. When this offense is running in rhythm and, and, and sometimes it's, when it's pushed to run in that rhythm because they fall behind or whatever, Burrow's really good about distributing the ball to all of these players. And with an exciting amount of skill position players, you got to be excited about, you know, 2021, 2022. I think this can be a fun offense. Um, but I, I got, I think it's also got to be weighing on him. Like you said, mentally, 
the pressure that he's under on the field. And then I think just from an off-field perspective, this is a guy that wants to win. He, 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 he's talked about, he hates to all the losing. Well, buddy, you're on a team that loses. And uh, in, you got guys wanting to get out of there. It's tough. So the end of games have been, if we're talking about pressure, quite intense for the Atlanta Falcons. And today was... That's one way. That's one way to put it. <laughs> Well, how would you like to spin it? Uh, problematic. They have been they have they have been problematic for the Atlanta Falcons. End of game situations have been problematic. This time, Todd Gurley uh, tries not to score, tries oh. not to do the thing that he is trained to do, and does it wrong, and gives the Lions just enough time to march back down the field and steal another win away from the Falcons. Um, oh, my God. It was TJ Hawkinson who, who got the Lions the win ultimately on an 11-yard catch. Um, it was uh, Matt Stafford's only passing touchdown of the day. We were right in FFL about this backfield and about DeAndre Swift um, having – at least an increased role. Like we know Adrian Peterson is still going to be involved. Nobody's saying that, but when you see DeAndre Swift clear, uh, what did he have? Like almost 50 scrimmage yards and find the end zone and was just like an integral part of moving this offense forward. I found that to be at least some positivity in like an otherwise frustrating offense. Yeah. I feel like the, the Lions offense gets in its own way. Um, because they they want to run a certain way. And I think Adrian Peterson's presence, like I feel like we talked about this last week, like he just invites coaching staffs to do this stupid thing where in the year 2020 they're trying to run through Adrian Peterson. Not great. Uh, but like when Stafford is unleashed, he can start cooking against a, a bad defense like this in a good matchup. It can happen. Like Marvin Jones even pops up like – Marvin Jones, eight, eight yards last week. He had 10 times as many uh, in this spot today. Kenny Galladay gets rolling on just seven targets, goes over 100 yards. Like, there's a lot to like about this passing game, but I feel like the Lions coaching staff or, and maybe just the organization as a whole won't, like, let them be the best version of themselves. I wonder what, what like, if it's a take lock or, I mean, when you have Kenny Galladay. Also, to, to me, I think the most disheartening piece of it and why I find them so frustrating is when you you were absolutely right in talking about the way you phrased it, um, the Lions getting in their own way. But when you have Kenny Galladay, who has like a large frame, right? Like this is a tall, yeah. um, this is a tall outside receiver with a giant catch radius, and you see him jumping up, exposing himself, knowing he's gonna get hit just to make a play, and like it's a stupid trite phrase but like truly leaving it all out there and you just gotta mm -hmm. feel like the megatron vibe hitting him like what am i doing like wasting myself for an offense that won't let me hit my ceiling yeah i i would listen i say all the time if i did that stuff uh, i would turn into dust so i i can imagine that kenny galladay is not feeling great about that all right uh dallas at washington lots of people not really feeling great in dallas i think washington gets a little reprieve from not feeling great um i don't even really know where to start like yeah andy dalton oh God, got yeah. cussed and was knocked out of the game almost but watching watching a fuller by the way like react the other team's cornerback react to the hit on dalton was uh evidence of how intense 
it certainly was. Um, but before that point, Dalton wasn't doing much of anything anyway. And then they had yeah. like cannoli or whatever. Ben Denu Hey, hey, that's a that's another one of my Virginia guys. You show some respect to Ben Denucci, the pride of James Madison University. Uh, I'll admit to not knowing he was uh, an entity of human form before he entered the game. Uh, I didn't know that. I mean, JMU's like one of the, uh, it's in Harris, Harrisburg, Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's one of like the three schools that everybody from my high school went to uh, it for college. So I was like, oh my God, they got it. Well, this isn't good for Dallas that a quarterback from James Madison is trotting onto the field right now. But he did hit Amari Cooper for his biggest game of the day. So there was that. Yeah, that was right after he flubbed the handoff to Zeke. Um, but Amari Cooper, as the wide receiver one, like continues to lead the way, 80 yards, seven catches. Um, I think if you want to be, if you want to see positively about something, I mean, it's that Amari Cooper. You have often spoke about in reception perception that your methodology and findings, or the findings from your methodology, um, have shown that Amari Cooper is a frustratingly inconsistent player, right? He can't consistently hit his uh, hit above his own personal median talent wise. But I will say that like, given the challenges that he's had under center over the past few weeks, he does continue. He is managing to stay consistent and produce. So I think that there is, um, and I'm sure you could glean better than I could as to why exactly that's happening. But I will say that that has got to be, um, something positive to take away from his development yeah like it's a shame that his last game with Dak Prescott was actually his worst uh in terms of statistic production but yeah the last couple of weeks have been solid for for Cooper but I mean this it's hard to skew positive like the other two guys uh, burying the lead when it comes to Dallas wide receivers the other two guys Michael Gallup CeeDee Lamb zero catches on seven targets in this one um yikes and also like, here's the thing. Like, our analysis with Andy Dalton is usually when the conditions are right for Andy Dalton, um, he can thrive. He can be he can be a good, like, starting level, you know, even above average quarterback. Liz, what's going right in Dallas right now? Like, they have good wide receiver one, two, three, for sure. Uh, their line is completely broken beyond repair. Their um, defense is consistently the type of unit that's going to put the offense in negative game script. Dalton does not do good in negative game script. And, oh, by the way, their running game, because of that offensive line and because of that defense, their running game sucks right now. So, like, there's nothing really other than the fact that, yeah, he's got three talented wide receivers there. There's, like, really not much for Andy Dalton to hang his hat on. Like, I would expect more bad games than good games for Andy Dalton because of that going forward. Well, I mean, it all comes from the trenches. I think you're 100% correct. I mean, this is a franchise that has invested heavily on the O-line so that they could also have this superstar running back that could find holes and everything kind of um, moved from that from that place. Um, and then when that goes sideways and you don't have a quarterback that can extend plays with his legs and creep out of pressure with his arm and his legs, right, then then this yeah. is where you're at. I mean, I... I'm sure you saw on Twitter that there were all of these grumbles about maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now that Tua is, has been named the starter, like move, because then if you're thinking about a player who's got like a YOLO style that can like work behind a shoddy offensive line, like Fitzpatrick will take a hit and he'll keep going. He's the antithesis in yeah. many ways to Andy Dalton. And so that is an interesting fit. I think the question is whether or not like Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to move again. 
Um, but this is a this is not the right quarterback for this situation. Um, and there you have it. Um, Kyle Allen did fine. Uh, under 200 yards, but two scores. That's fine. I think everybody will be ha- will happily take that from Kyle Allen. Antonio Gibson, who and Antonio Gibson, like, let's give him some credit here. 128 oh, yeah. yards and a touchdown. Like, I like him even if he is. Yes, a lot of this has to do with the matchup, but like, as much and as annoying as JD McKissick has been to Gibson's work in the passing game, especially when you consider the fact that Gibson was like a converted wide receiver, right? Or had played wide receiver at the collegiate level. You're like, oh, he can do all the things. Let him do all the things. But he is still consistent. Like Peyton Barber is not part of this. Remember over the summer when we talked about Peyton Barber? Like he's not really part of this conversation. Antonio Gibson is seeing the red zone rushing attempts. And like, you're going to want that and just assume that any of the passing down work, which there will be some because the, because the Washington football team is not going to be ahead often. So you have now a running back that will get you something and will see the goal line. So I think you have to continue to hold on to him and then love the moment that he smashes in a juicy matchup like this. And Terry McLaurin is a damn stud. You've said it. He's an alpha receiver. It doesn't matter who he's being covered by Darius Slay, Patrick Peterson, um, James Bradbury. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if his quarterback is Dwayne Haskins or Alex Smith or Kyle Allen, like he will continue to create production. So I think we talked about this on our halftime show. Like what a fantastic opportunity to know exactly where the opportunities are going. And from a fantasy perspective, lean into that knowledge. Yeah, I agree. Like this, there's a decent core between McLaurin Gibson and Logan Thomas, who has been disappointing at times, but also productive at times, which kind of makes sense. Like this is his first year starting after a position uh, conversion to tight end, you know, a few years ago. So it makes sense that he's like a bit of a a volatile splash player, um, mostly in good matchups, but there's a core there for Washington to build around and Kyle Allen. Like, listen, I've been down on Kyle Allen before it was cool. Uh, I, I understand this guy's limitations, but he's enough to keep an offense moving, you know, like he's accurate in the short to intermediate areas can't push the ball downfield and will make some of the dumbest turnovers and lose a bunch of yards on sacks. Not not a guy that you want starting for the long term, but can keep this offense moving in the short, which is good news for Gibson, McLaurin, and sometimes Thomas, the guys we care about, as you mentioned. Buffalo at New Jersey. That process juice isn't as sweet as it was at the top of the season, even though... <laughs> The Bills Bills fans are going to love that you threw the New Jersey. Like you've, you've relegated the jets already. You've relegated them to New Jersey until they can, until they can put together a real NFL operation. I'm kind of in on that. (laughs) Well, we should, I mean the Hoboken jets. There you go. Josh Allen salvaged his day with 61 rushing yards, but no touchdown. Um, Man, Devin Singletary has disappointed um, and struggled over his past couple of efforts. Um, Zach Moss returning has not helped that. He, in fact, outran Singletary and outgained him in the passing game, too, which just kind of stinks from a fantasy perspective because, like, now I'm not interested really in either of them. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm out on this backfield, like trying to figure it out. I don't think there's much juice here. And as long as John Brown is not healthy or off the field, then Cole Beasley, you have to consider. I mean, I thought it was going to be Gabriel Davis. It seemed to be trending that way at the top of the season. But if Allen isn't crushing and isn't in the zone, then Cole Beasley becomes, you know, a nice safety valve who is consistently seeing a bunch of targets in part of that wide receiver three flex conversation. 
Yeah, I think this offense, like in order to hit its ceiling, does need to get you know John Brown back out there and healthy uh, because then that presents a lot of matchup problems for a defense. Uh, I think without Brown, they're just they're a different unit, and that unit, like you said, it, it's like eleven uh, catches for Cole Beasley, which isn't you know necessarily what you want to to, to be like a hyper aggressive offense like they were to start the year. Um, but yeah, I, I think that better days will be ahead for the Bills, but I do think we've officially needed to adjust expectations back from what we saw in the first four weeks of the season. I mean, I think Sam Darnold would love Cole Beasley in the form of Jamison Crowder, who wasn't able to take the field. I mean, no Jamison Crowder. That meant no one broke 43 receiving yards. We should also mention, oh my gosh, how did I not lead with this? Adam Gase relinquished, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation, relinquished the play calling duties. Like, how did that go over? How much did he pout about it? Did he pout about it? I'm very interested in that. But he, re- he did not call this game. And as a result, I would like to believe that this is a result. LaMichael Pirine saw increased work today and Denzel Mims, you know, who was had the hamstring injury and he was like the only gift, the only pass catching gift that was drafted <laughs> to, Sam, uh, to Sam Darnold after like promising Sam Darnold's parents that they were going to, that the team was going to like give him real options and build around him. And now Jets fans are like clamoring for Trevor Lewis. The whole thing, I can't, there's a lot going on anyway. I would keep an eye. Denzel Perryman got laid out in this one. Um, Crowder is banged up. He's a player who hasn't necessarily always been durable. Uh, certainly wasn't during his time in Washington. I'm excited to see what Mims does. It was nice to see him on the field. He's someone I'll be tracking. I'm not like going to start him or anything just yet, but I would like to keep an eye on him, especially as the play calling duties have shifted. And I am interested to see if P. Ryan, who you're going to love this, Matt, showed out pretty nicely during the Senior Bowl, um, <laughs> will have some pop. No, yeah, actually, I think there was a legit quote from Adam Gase talking about Michael P. Ryan. Like, they didn't want to put too much on his plate or whatever. Uh, okay, just good lord um but yeah like i i think that was actually a like his involvement i feel like was a direct uh result from them turning over the play calling duties we'll see how it how it goes down the road but those are two players that two rookies obviously that i'm that i'm tracking um carolina at new orleans during ffl you mentioned that teddy bridgewater called this a respect not a revenge game I really liked, by the way, when he ran off the field and sat between Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. I thought that was like a fun moment. Um, oh, yeah. Not great. fun moment <laughs> was the rare flop by Mike Davis. <laughs> remember, remember during Evan Bell, like, well, this guy's a really good floor, so you should, you should start him. This is your safe play. Uh, seven carries, 12 yards, five catches, 24 yards through the air. Uh, hopefully, CMC will be back soon. Um, if Mike Davis didn't work out for you, at least DJ Moore worked out for the Panthers. He continued his hot streak, uh, hot streak, caught four for 93 on five targets, two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson also getting his regular uh, double-digit looks. He managed 74 yards. And your boy Curtis Samuel found the end zone. Or was it called back? I know. Yeah, you love to see Curtis Samuel involved. Like, Samuel's been a big part of them moving the offense. You know, he consistently gets, like, when he's targeted on third down, he has been, I think, 100% uh, converting 
those into first down. So he's been a big part of moving their offense. And, you know, as Curtis Samuel, truth is we need to take the little tiny nuggets uh, that we can to keep on going here. But, yeah, Moore, I think, is on pace for 1,200 yards. He's at 93 yards in three straight games. Uh, Robbie Anderson, obviously, we know is on pace for, like, 1,400 yards, something ridiculous like that. So both of these guys are pretty much locked in every single week. It's one of those situations where – yeah, you can argue on the periphery like this guy over this guy, but for the most part, the answer is just both. And we don't know whether or not Michael Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders will be locked in for week eight. They're both questionable. Uh, Thomas dealing with an injury and Sanders still on the COVID list. Um, but that meant, at least for right now, that Marquez Callaway stepped up in the passing game. The rookie out of Tennessee, um, eight catches, 75 yards on 10 targets. Traquan Smith. You know, that, that that was kind of the uh, the play. It was like, okay, well, obviously, Traquan Smith is the play. He did eventually find his way into some production, but Callaway certainly led the pack and will be interesting to track moving forward. However, he, uh, I believe, rolled his ankle towards the end of the game, and um, there we're going to have to see whether or not he's healthy enough to also start in Week 8. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was like one that was a big surprise seeing uh, Callaway out there. But he looks like he looks legit when he gets targeted. I, I was impressed with what I saw for sure. Green Bay at Houston, Devontae Adams, what a stud, 13 catches, 196 yards, two touchdowns. He is now on pace for the most receiving. He is now actually second just behind DeAndre Hopkins for the second most receiving touchdowns logged since 2017 uh, he has over 30 at this point uh, f- apologies if you faced off against him this week um even though he's only played four games this year i'm pretty sure he's still a top 20 wide receiver on the season yeah he's on pace for 160 targets and has played like missed the better half of you know better part of two and a half games uh he leads the nfl in receiving yards per game depending on what deandre hopkins does uh, in the Sunday night football game. Like, yeah, he's he's completely smashing right now. It's just a shame we we didn't get a full season out of him. But at the same time, like, I, I think he's going to still put up, like, per-game numbers that look like a, a season-end line of an elite stud. And Jamal Williams, who is stepping in for the normally studly Aaron Jones, cleared 100 scrimmage yards and found the end zone as well. But the buzz on A.J. Dillon, I think both you and I liked him. I didn't. I didn't have him anywhere to use him and I didn't use him in, in um, DFS, but he only got five carries for 11 yards, which in a weird way, Matt, like I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about this one. I'm happy that, that hopefully that means Matt LaFleur is finding a decisiveness as he evolves as a head coach. Yeah. Liz, I'm such an idiot. We talked about this uh, in the halftime show. Like, I, I, I used, I used a Harris, or I was going to use Harrison Bryant and Gio Bernard in DFS. Ten dollars for Bryant, uh, fourteen dollars for uh, Gio Bernard. Uh, at the last minute, I switched to AJ Dillon at ten dollars and Darren Fells at fourteen dollars at tight end because, like, oh, I'm in on this. I'm in on this smash spot here for Green Bay versus Houston. Idiot. Wrong move. Definitely going to cost me in the Guru Challenge uh, stand-up, but there's uh, lineup standings, but it is what it is. Uh, I do think it was encouraging. I agree with you, though. It was encouraging to see, like, Matt LaFleur not just, like, force-feed this guy, A.J. Dillon. It's just, just kind of like, why did we draft him in the second round if this is going to be the case? <laughs> I love that you're whispering. Um, while we move to the Sunday 
afternoon games, the Sunday light, late games, I want you to keep whispering because obviously Antonio Brown is creating a lot of whispers and tam- whispers, not whiskers. I mean, he probably has those too. Like, I don't know. Uh, you never know. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, now that the deal is official, we could see him as soon as week nine, I believe, as long, assuming all of the COVID tests go as expected, which is the worst thing in the world to say in 2020 because nothing goes as expected. But still, yeah. we talked about it a little bit on FFL for our podcast listeners who might have missed this morning or at least that part. Do you want to reiterate any of your thoughts about the AB signing? Well, I mean, yeah, you're 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 totally right. Uh, you can't lock in anything with certainty in the year 2020. And uh, Antonio Brown has been uh, uncertain. Like, don't lock in anything with certainty with Antonio Brown. He's doing that before it was before it was 2020. So, like, we'll see. Basically, is my analysis with Antonio Brown. We'll see when we get him. What happens? Um, I did think it was interesting that, like, uh, part of what I talked about on FFL this morning was that there's been so much injuries. There's been so many injuries in this Bucks receiver core. Mike Evans, slow game today, just two targets, 37 yards. Chris Godwin gets back with 88 uh, yards and a touchdown. But he split the team lead in targets with Scotty Miller. Like, Scott Miller had disappeared, basically. Then Antonio Brown gets signed and Miller's back. Like, I I guess Bruce Arians called it basically like an insurance policy to bring in Antonio Brown. I don't know. I I still – I feel like – well, just like I'll believe it when I see it with Brown because that's basically been the smartest way to look at him for the better part of two years now. But I love how you're wrapping in today's analysis because I think you're totally right. Chris, I mean, there have been a lot of injuries. Scotty Miller disappeared, also hasn't been healthy. And we don't know, like just because he's not, you know, the minute that one of the more ancillary players behind Godwin or Evans or even Rob Gronkowski at this point, like we're not tracking their, their injury reports are popping up in our news feeds as, as regularly yeah. as before, because the, they're just not as needed for fantasy purposes. And so now you have to imagine, okay, like Scotty Miller's healthier and Chris Godwin is healthier. And Mike Evans, you know, has consistently throughout the season been um, a low volume volatile option, but also has the ceiling to produce and, He's a giant red zone threat. And so while Rob Gronkowski was still figuring out, you know, what it's been like to play football after having been off for a year plus, like then Mike Evans was the red zone target. And I think this, I, it seems very much to me that the ethos for this team is just win. Like if the defense can win, yeah. great. They have, I mean, you just look at their backfield. Like we have seen this as a sign, right? We've seen like, oh, you've got Ronald Jones. Great. Oh, now we're going to add LaShawn McCoy. Oh, we're going to draft a rookie. Oh, well, it turns out maybe he's not what we were maybe anticipating. So now we're going to draft LaShawn McCoy. Why? I don't know. Because why not? Now we're going to grab Leonard Fournette. And now I feel like the same thing is happening in the receiving core because the the ethos is we just want to win. Tom Brady doesn't yeah. care. Like Tom Brady just, just wants to have a legacy divorced from Bill Belichick for many, many reasons. And let's be honest, Tom Brady gets whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, I think that, like, when you, I agree with you, this team is, I've been saying this for months now, it's like the most win-now team I can remember. And that doesn't mean that they're not, like, set up okay for whenever Brady and Bruce Arians both ride off into the sunset. And obviously, Gronk will, will go with them and Antonio Brown, the whole deal. But, like, like Chris Godwin, good young player. Ronald Jones looks like a pretty good young player. Um, the defense is, is loaded with underrated young talent. So there's pieces to work with in the post-Brady era. 
But at the same time, like the next two years is pretty much by any means necessary. Get a damn ring for all of these guys that want to ride off into the sunset on the top. Yeah. When you've got Indomitian Sue on your squad, you know that that's what it's about. Like, it, oh, it's the mercenary, NFL mercenary, Indomitian Sue. <laughs> we could talk about Vegas, but I don't think we need to because we can, in talking about Vegas, we'll just reiterate how good the Tampa Bay Bucks defense is. Darren Waller did find the end zone. I mean, he's a beast, he is a mismatch. Um, Josh Jacobs was a big old bust, but like Trent Brown wasn't in and we all anticipated a down effort from Josh Jacobs. Is anything from the Raiders side popping to you that you feel like you need to impart some, some utility or wisdom about? No, I just think like Nelson Aguilar is a guy that's going to continue to be involved in this offense. Yeah, so like, don't be so don't be. Well, I mean, look, he's, he's been making big plays for this team. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's annoying. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For, for like projecting their their weekly output, it is definitely annoying. But um, he looks like he continues to earn that role uh, going forward, like as one of these outside guys. Yeah. Another game that I don't know the, the Chiefs at Denver game. Um, so our boy Tim Patrick, it, this wasn't it, Woof. man. This wasn't it. Instead. He joins the like LaVisca Chenault week eight all-star list of like the most, the most references on FFL possible to like nothing, nothing for your fantasy team. I was, I mean, I, I played him. Like I was, here's the thing. Also, I think that, I don't know if this is true for you. I believe it is, but like, I, I use my takes. Like they're not just, yeah. they're not just like the, the, the play. You can tell which players like you're, you're, which players you're like, well, I need five. So I'm going to write about five. But then you can tell which of those five you really believe in, right? Like you're super passionate about. I was all, I was watching Tim Patrick tape. Like I was all in on it. I was psyched. I, I used him in the fishbowl. That's a disaster. <laughs> so, I, you know, like I will say he's still efficient, right? He's still physical. He's still gutty. He caught four. He only caught three balls, but he only had four targets. Um, from a production standpoint, Noah fan is still clearly not healthy, right? Like a, a lot of the questions about Tim Patrick was whether or not he'd be able to produce when Noah Fant got back on the field and he'd been suffering through this ankle sprain. He's clearly not had healthy instead of it being Tim Patrick though. It's Albert. Oak-woo-ye-boom-nom. Shoot. I was even practicing it. Albert. Oak. Boo-a-boo-nom. And um, yeah, that he's the other tight end. Seven of seven for sixty. He's the guy. Yeah, Albert O's like legit good. I think he's a, he's a talent. Like he's a talent to keep an eye on. Him and Noah Fan are interesting together. Um, yeah, it was a bummer about Tim Patrick, but I mean Drew Locke kind of threw up on his shoes a little bit in this in this spot, which it's like you live by the 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 sword, you die by the sword. That is definitely the Drew Locke way right now. I mean, you live by the knee brace, you die by the knee brace. That was gnarly. <laughs> Not you <laughs> Yeah, not not great. <laughs> Question about this backfield. So, like, Melvin Gordon saved his fantasy day with a touchdown. 17 attempts, 68 yards, but also responsible for two fumbles. Meanwhile, Philip Lindsay <sighs> out there, like, just moving the chains, right? Like, doing the work, averaging 8.8 yards per carry, do you, and we know that Vic Fangio, right? Like Vic Fangio is not some like warm, cuddly guy. He is basically, yeah. you know, the dude that you imagine in like a red leather booth, 
a red booth Italian restaurant, like smoking cigars and like swearing about his grandchildren and taxes, right? Like this guy is not the dude that doesn't, that doesn't like punitive, punitive like responses to things. Right. Like, and so I'm wondering if you think there will be any sort of shift as, um, as a finger wagging, as a punishment. Very possible. Um, the problem is Philip Lindsay gets hurt in this game, uh, leaves it. I think it was a concussion that forced him out. He's also struggled with injuries at the same like. So, yeah, that's pretty much what Melvin Gordon needed to get back in the mix here and score that touchdown. Like that pitch that he the the <laughs> when he threw it back on the flea flicker to Drew Locke, just like what did he think? Freaking uh, Shaq is back there as his quarterback. Like he threw that so far over Locke's head. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I think if Lindsay was healthy, that would he would it would make this very interesting in terms of what the split would look like for sure. I guess I mean Royce Freeman also being part of that, like. Ah, yeah, I feel like that ship's kind of sailed. Okay, all right. Um, other backfield that we went into this week uh, expecting a lot out of or expecting to see certain intrigue because um, Le'Veon Bell was making his debut as a chief. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Did get more rushing attempts, eight. He also found the end. Of course, of course, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire scores the week that Le'Veon yeah. Bell finds is uh, is added to the team. Bell, um, you know, 39 rushing yards, didn't find the end zone. Interestingly, also did not draw a single target. And a lot of the thought was, like, as players progress in their careers they maybe get to a stage particularly at the running back position where they're mostly just receiving backs right they're not really prime rushers anymore and so there had been some some thoughts that maybe Le'Veon Bell would be used more on passing downs but in fact you know not a single target Clyde Edwards Lair only caught one ball but he did draw four looks yeah, I feel like there, this is another backfield. Like, it's going to be a bit wait and see. Like, next week could tell us a lot more than this week does. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, you know, like, what's clear, like, there's no way that Le'Veon Bell doesn't mess this up for CEH, right? Like, this is one of the times he's felt – this is the only time all season he's fallen below a 50% share of the running back rushing work. Like, this is going to be a factor going forward, and, like, you just kind of have to get used to that. Like, he gets away with the touchdown in this one, but I think this is going to look like a split uh, going forward. Uh, obviously, next week next week is, is the revenge game against the Jets, right? I think they get the Jets next week. Um, you think I'm tracking the New Jersey Jets schedule? You're you're wrong. Fair point. Uh, that was an unfair expectation for me to put on you, and I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think things will look more um, 60 40 depending on the week. Like sometimes Bell's going to be a sixty, sometimes Ceh is going to be a sixty in that split, and pretty much you just got to deal with that. Let's talk about unfair expectations because I think it's a really interesting way to frame the final matchup, San Francisco at New England. Uh, What a miserable day for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. Who knows? It feels the the like good vibes, Cam Newton week two. That feels like a thousand years ago at this point, right? Um, Obviously, a lot has happened to Cam since then. He he was positive for COVID, and people can make the assumption about whether that has something to do with why he's underperformed the last couple of weeks. Belichick says he's the starter going forward. Um, 
even after getting benched today for Jarrett Stidham amidst just a, a horrible outing. But I mean, like New England got cl- outclassed at several levels in this one. And I feel like that's kind of been my main takeaway from the last two weeks. Like obviously Cam has not been good, but like this Patriots team as a whole is not good. The margin for error is extremely thin. And if Cam is playing at an average or below average level, this whole thing can fall apart really, really quickly. Like this is the same offense that had Brady like looking like he was washed last year. And we know what Brady's doing down in Tampa now at this point. Like, again, there's not a lot of skill position. Like there's not a lot of skill position talent there. The defense has taken a number of hits in the off season because of opt outs and everything like that. This is just, and they've also had a lot of injuries on the offensive line as well. And I feel like that hasn't been discussed enough. Like this is just not a team that could sustain too many mistakes and now that cam is making mistakes they're going to get outclassed 33 to 6 and this in like in a spot like this and and it's completely cyclical i feel like it's feeding upon itself because cam is making mistakes because he clearly doesn't trust his receivers and the one that he should be able to trust julian edelman clearly isn't healthy and so now there's a reason why cam shouldn't cam knows that like he's not at 100 percent, and maybe he can't perform or do the thing that that cam would like him to do in the moment and nobody on this receiving core is stepping. I mean, you've got like, when you look at this, you've got every single receiver involved. I mean, like there's a target for Jacob Johnson, a target for Dalton Keene, a target for Ryan Izzo. Ryan Izzo is like someone that we're definitely talking about beyond dynasty league. Not that we should be, but as a like, well, who's going to do it? Who's going to bring this team into production? And so, I don't know. This isn't just the, um, I think, you know, at the top of the season, we're always patient with new england even in game we're patient with new england but now it's it's almost november right well halloween is next week november 1st is next week this isn't just like oh now it's you know the leaves are starting to change color it's like when there's snow happening right now so you would imagine that they would have found themselves or be closer to finding themselves than than they are at this point this season yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, it just, again, it comes back to the fact that their entire season had a giant wrench thrown into it when, you know, they, they a ton of players were positive. Uh, they had a, they had to miss the game. They had to reschedule. They flew two separate damn planes to that Chiefs game that they probably never should have played. Like, you would think uh, that a team like New England would actually be one that would adjust really well to, to being thrown off course. But uh, it is a lot to ask, especially when you've built this, like, team kind of on the fly and you've had – there's only so much that great coaching uh, can cover up, and there's a lot of problems on New England to cover up right now. Yeah, and and hubris in expecting to constantly rise above because you have done it is also maybe playing into uh, the part here. San Francisco, on the other hand, I mean, we got a fair amount of Jarek McQu- Jarek McKinnon questions, and you know the general response was like, "Eh, if you have to, you have to," but. LaMichael Hasty is going to be involved here, and so we're not quite sure about volume. And, in fact, that was true in that Jared McKinnon, his volume did suck. But Jeff, Jeff Wilson was the dude, 17 carries, 112 yards, three touchdowns. When Jeff Wilson, like, that is what he does. He scores touchdowns. We talked about it earlier in the season. Um, the last time Mostert was injured, and the bummer of it all, though, was watching – Wilson go down with a knee injury and being helped off the field and carted off the field. And this is like a guy, it's always like a particularly more painful 
when you see a player who knows his place, who knows that this is a shot, who knows that he is not the high priced acquisition, you know? Yeah, I, I I hear you. I felt that too when he was getting carted off after this awesome game. I really just sucked for the guy. And like, I know people are complaining because it's not the player that they expected, but you really couldn't like project anything confidently in this backfield. Like, you, this was always a scenario. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it was probably in our minds. Like, if we had to to handicap somebody, like Hasty would have been the guy that we would have said. Like, yeah, he's gonna come in and mess things up for Jarek McKinnon. But things getting messed up for Jarek McKinnon were always very much in the cards. Debo Samuel also got injured in this one, but Brandon Ayuk, um, another yak player, because that's that's how Kyle Shanahan rolls, and over 115 yards. George Kittle, obviously, he only caught five for 55, but if Debo Samuel is out for a significant amount of time, then Ayuk and Kittle, you know, remain the one and two options among the pass catchers. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would totally agree. Okay, then let's move along to Jacksonville at the Los Angeles Chargers. I see the sign behind your right shoulder. Why don't you start with the soliloquy? I mean, Justin Herbert, he's so good. (laughs) And I know like people hate you playing fantasy, like throw it to Mike Williams. Come on. I have Mike Williams on my fantasy team. But like, I love that he goes out there. This is his third game with three-plus touchdowns, third straight game. Uh, He obviously rushes for a touchdown as well. But I love that he's just throwing heaters. I mean, absolutely gorgeous passes to guys like Virgil Green, who, uh, yikes, also had to get his ankle hurt on that one. Uh, Jalen Guyton, a guy that continues to get involved down the field. Donald Parham, XFL superstar, pops up again. I know that just irritates the hell out of fantasy folks, like who have Hunter Henry, who ends up with three catches for 23 yards. Like, if you have... Yeah, right? So, like, just, but this is the mark of a star quarterback, is a guy who elevates all the players around him. And Herbert, the moment he's got in there, has elevated this team. And, like, Keenan Allen, remember all the takes in the summer, and, like, obviously we couldn't have seen this coming, but, like, oh, man, Keenan Allen's volume. Like, how is he going to be productive again this year? Well, apparently he's just going to get this, like, superstar quarterback dropped in here. And, I mean, I I cannot – I can't contain my excitement for uh, Herbert. Like, it's just – it's overflowing. He's making Chargers football, like, must-see TV. Like, obviously they used to be must-see TV because, like, how are they going to screw it up in the end? Now uh, that's still kind of a thing, by the way. Like, they they still screw things up in the end sometimes. Um, But – Herbert has given them uh, a new life, um, which is just like I said, it is it is elevating guys like Keenan Allen. And, you know, he really stole the show today. We we're all talking about these running backs like Josh Kelly, Justin Jackson. What do we do? The answer was pretty much Justin Herbert. Yeah, neither is the is the answer to the running back question. I mean, Joe, Joe Reed was a thing for, for a minute, um, but you're right. Like it, we have to get used to this new era of Chargers football where like the backfield doesn't need to be in play because you have a quarterback that can win and that's exciting and and use all of the pieces around him and it also was I thought really fun to watch the Chargers defense get healthier even though even though James Robinson this was my biggest bust of the week like I'll own some of the some of the wins but uh, my absolute biggest whiff of the week was James Robinson being slightly downgraded because the yeah. Chargers defense had yet to give up a rushing 
touchdown. And he had struggled in terms of rushing yards uh, over the past few weeks. He goes off for 119 on the ground alone. That doesn't even include the 18 he managed through the air, plus a score, one through the air and one on the ground. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, my apologies. Now, I do a Market Movers segment every Sunday night, like a little video thing. Um, and last week was stock down was was uh, James Robinson. So I was there with you. I thought it wasn't anything like him as an entity. Like there was no issue with him as a player. He's clearly really good. But it was the Jacksonville offense not performing to expectation. Um, in this spot against a banged up Chargers defense, Joey Bosa was a little nicked in this spot too. Um, and Minshew, you know, coming in with the back, he is back against the wall after the reports were that they were going to bench him for some reason for Mike frickin' Glennon. Like anyone needs to see that at any point ever again. Uh, he kind of came out and played a lot better in this week than he had previously. So definitely didn't expect it from James Robinson, but I think that's more so the reason things went right around him. Monday night game has yet to be played at Chicago at Los Angeles. The Rams, obviously, since we just discussed the um chargers robert woods missed some practice time but he's expected to play matt you talked a lot about the rams um passing attack during ffl do you want to reiterate that real quick before we head out yeah uh a little nervous about him in this game because number one they've struggled to hit a ceiling as it is uh their efficiency metrics are like off the chart you know yards per drive points uh per drive everything like that offensive dvoa they're a very very good offense but because they're so run heavy, these pass catchers don't get a ton of volume. Robert Woods is wide receiver 14 coming into this week. Cooper Cup wide receiver 24 coming into this week. Um, Woods hasn't had 100 yards since, or hasn't had 80 plus yards since week one. Cup has been very hit or miss because he's not playing as much slot. The tight ends forget about it. Like there's just not a lot of ceiling plays in this offense. And then they're getting one of the few defenses in the NFL in Chicago that I think is actually a good unit. So like, really, I think their only chance for a ceiling play is just to turn it over to Daryl Henderson, like let him be that guy. But he was a little nicked up this week. Um, they really don't want to do that anyways. And again, Chicago's good run defense. So I, I'm not expecting a lot of offensive fireworks on Monday night. That's for sure. No, Lord, a low scoring game. seems to be in the cards. Um, thank you for sharing that. Obviously, you lunatics, as Matt likes to call you, um, tend to click on his Sunday evening piece, which files pretty late. Um, Matt, a tease? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be talking about this Sunday night game, which has uh, lived up to expectations. The Seahawks are up 20-14 to 14, uh, over the Arizona Cardinals. It'll be the lead in that one, and then uh, I'll be espousing more um, sweet, sweet nothings about um, Justin Herbert. Herbert. <laughs> and probably Tyler Lockett. We have got a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Taylor and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thank you to Planters. Andy and Scott will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. Until then, we're out.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.